As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to the Get In Podcast, presented by Fourth and Dude, brought to you by EagleInsider.com and the Armchair Media Network, Season 5, Clemson Week. The Maroon and Gold defended home turf in the great state of Massachusetts on Saturday, winning an overtime thriller versus Missouri by a score of 41-34, and improving to 4-0 for the first time since the Jagosinski era. On today's episode, we'll recap one heck of a Saturday to be an Eagle, discuss the return of O-Line U, and preview a Clemson squad licking their wounds in what is now a wide-open ACC. Matt, what a win on Saturday. Just such a different feel around this program. So much to be excited about. I truly believe we have one of the all-time special BC teams on you know our hands this year. There's just tons to get to today, break down everything that happened on Saturday, and look ahead to our trip down to Clemson. But first, a quick word from our good friends in the Spotify Green Room. Spotify Greenroom is a live, audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and use. Talk to other fans, athletes, insiders, your favorite podcast hosts, all in real time. Perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, reacting to breaking news. It's like your own in-person message board. Just an awesome idea by our friends at Spotify. All you need to do is download the Spotify Greenroom app free in the iOS app store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and show up to the Spotify Greenroom with your spiciest takes Matt, let's get right to it. Half full, half empty. Obviously, an unbelievable Saturday. Tons to be positive about. What was the high point for you? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll say this right off the bat. You know, sort of a, a slow start to the season, right, when you had Colgate and UMass and Temple, and it was kind of a bunch of snooze fests, right, against subcar, some subpar competition. All that changed on Saturday in a hurry, and a, a lot of it was all the shit talking all week by that nerd alert head coach for Missouri, Eli Drinkwitz. Uh, you know, his comments all but ensured that the Eags would come out ready to play. So I want to start right there. That's the half full. It's Coach Halfley. You know, going back to last week, just an absolutely perfect response to what Drinkowitz said when he said something along the lines of, you know, I wish we were playing a regional rival instead of traveling to Boston. That's not an era we recruit in, which between the two of us isn't really all that controversial. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he's actually right. He's actually right, but I'm so on board for this because it absolutely fired up the team and it fired up the fan base. But completely agree. What he said was like not out of line whatsoever. But Halfley, I, Halfley was just like sick of everyone asking about it and overreacting. And I, maybe he's just a genius. He probably is, right? Like he probably knew it was going to jack up the team. Or maybe it was just a reaction because he's used to dealing with nerds like uh, like Drinkwitz all the time and just shove him into lockers his whole life. But Halfley saying, you know, Eli should have called me up if he didn't want to come. We'll play anywhere, anytime. I'll jump on a plane tomorrow. I don't care. And it's just his his half's off the field persona is just so electric, continues to just, you know, be everything in a coach we ever want. 
the entire nation is is just a huge fan of this guy. And it helps, I'll tell you what, it helps when he backs it up on the field as well, like they did on Saturday. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think beyond just rallying up the team, which which it clearly did, right? I mean, we got a lot of Massachusetts guys on this roster that absolutely got to them. I'm sure he played into that. Beyond that, Matt, it completely rallied like the state of Massachusetts and the BC or the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, sorry. And, you know, the BC fan base around this game, like even people on Twitter were being like, I root against BC every week, but I'm from Worcester and I'm not going to listen to people from Missouri rail on, you know, the city of Boston and the, and, and the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So just no awareness from Missouri, the head coach, the, the fan base, whatever. And I think a great job by, by Halfley to, um, you know, to rally that. And then Matt, I'll, I'll build on that. You know, we talk about the culture that that he's building, the mentality of this team. And this is, you know, my, my top half full of, of the of the day. The mentality of this team is just such so different than everything we've become used to as BC fans in the last you know, decade or so. Similar to the pick game last year, we talked about it then. But, you know, this is a game that that every BC team in the last 10 years loses. Uh, we don't historically come from behind. We don't win tight games. We don't know how to handle adversity. And this team is just the polar opposite. And I think that speaks volumes to the, to the culture that Halfley and the boys really have built over the last you know two years. This is a winning football team, a team that loves playing for each other, cool under pressure, unfazed, and most importantly, a coach that believes in them and, and gives them the keys to, to pulling off these types of games. So just, you know, really refreshing as a fan. And again, you know, like you said, couldn't be couldn't be luckier and happier to have, you know, halfway at the helm, hopefully for a long time to come. Yeah. And that hype video that uh, the BC football Twitter account tweeted out was just it was a four minutes. It was like an extended cut behind the scenes of him hyping up the team and just everything he does is is exactly what we need. Let's talk about that in a little bit because there is a bit of a half-empty intertwined into this. It's like, is, are we going to only have seven more games left of this guy or eight more games, whatever it is? But let's put a bookmark in that. Let's get into the game a little bit. You guys all saw, I mean, sold-out crowd at Chestnut Hill, entire nation watching. Where do you want to start? You know, I guess the run game is probably a logical place to, to start. 275 yards on 49 carries, three touchdowns. We knew coming in, and we, you know, apologies for not, you know, having an episode last week. Just our, our schedules got a little too crazy. But, you know, we did tweet out the scouting report that was spot on. So credit to us there. And it's not rocket science. We knew Missouri was absolutely terrible, you know, defending the run. They've been terrible all season, one of the worst in FBS. But our offensive line just dominated. Every single play knocked the D line completely backwards, got to that second level created wide open lanes in the in the run game all day. You know, the, the switch to zone blocking has really been one of our big pain points, our big points of contention going back to really the beginning of the last year, the Duke game, right? This is where we first started saying, like, what is going on with this line? They're supposed to be elite. And I think we're back, or we're getting back. And I don't want to overreact because, again, it's Missouri, and they're really, really terrible. But to dominate an SEC opponent, that certainly bodes well going forward. We did see a couple blips like last year, Georgia Tech. It was like, all right, we're back. And then were we? No, Georgia Tech just kind of sucks, right? So I really want to make sure that, and we're going to, you know, obviously there's nothing but positivity right now, but we're going to see a lot better front sevens going forward. Um, so I don't expect us to dominate quite at that level. But hopefully it gives the boys the confidence that they need uh, going forward here. Yeah, look, I mean, it's important you said it. I think Missouri is is the worst power five defensive front, you know, maybe the worst, but certainly the worst that I think we're going to, we're going to see all year. But at the same time, 
you know, there, there is something to say about momentum, uh, about, you know, the, the chemistry that these guys are able to build by going against an SEC team, even, you know, not one of the best, but going against an SEC team and, and playing as clean and, and together and as cohesive as you possibly could have imagined. I completely agree. It gives me a lot of confidence going the rest of the way versus maybe how we felt, you know, through the first three games. Um, you touched on the running game. I'd like to just single out Garwo, obviously. 175 yards, two touchdowns. He's a bowling ball, but he's deceptively fast. And he has remarkable vision. Um, let me put it this way, Matt. Like uh, this is my thought during the run. If I was playing Madden, I would have made every single opposite cut of what he made. Like during the run, I was saying, "Go this way, go this way." He kept doing the opposite, and I mean that in the <laughs> best way possible. Like his vision was to make the you know not obvious cut, the not obvious move, and and again, and ended up ripping off a clean sixty-seven yard run, completely untouched. Huge testament to his vision and his speed too. It looked like he was going five miles an hour, but clearly he was outrunning everyone, uh, both on the offensive side of the ball and. and on the D-backs chasing him. So, yeah, absolute huge performance up front and, and can't say enough good things about the confidence that that gives me going forward. Matt, you wanted to start with the run game. I, I got to start elsewhere. And I think for me, this is all about the Dennis Grossell show. I'm shocked you did not start with this. Well, you're really going to take Denny from me? I, I mean, again, you, you know, you did the running game. I think I was ready to do that, but here we go. I was Look, saving Denny for last. No, go for it. It's, uh, it's, Denny's, Denny's been your guy since day one, so why don't you take it? He has it? been. Look, I can I can admit it that I've now been fully converted. You know, it was not a perfect game by any means. Uh, that first opening play, which we can talk about the game plan, was, you know, quite frankly, terrible. I don't know what that throw was. I don't know what that call was. And he did have a couple other bad throws. You know, but for the most part, I don't think he made terrible decisions. He did miss a couple guys, but... At the end of the day, when it mattered, he was tough as nails, and you can call that guts, moxie, whatever. The entire overtime drive, the entire end of the fourth quarter drive, the fourth and four run where he basically sold out every inch of his body to, to, to get the first down. You know, he did throw some amazing balls. That that ball in the end zone to Zay at the end of it was, you know, probably one of the best passes that any quarterback in the country could have thrown, frankly. So, you know, I'll let you go in, into much greater detail here, but I feel a lot more confident about the rest of the year than, you know, perhaps I did post-Temple, for example. I can't believe you, you took my Danny segment. That was unbelievable, <laughs> Matt. Uh, I, I guess first things first. I, I actually didn't hate that play call. Like the first play of the game, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. But everyone and their brother knew that we were going to be run heavy because, again, Missouri is, is just can't stop a nosebleed. And even Drinkwitz was saying in his presser leading up to it, like, oh, we know they're a run-heavy team and, you know, they don't throw it very – and, like, I don't know. I, I thought it would have been – you combine that to, you know, it's a, it's a noon start, 11, 11 a.m. Central start on the road in a slow-to-fill stadium, right? Maybe you catch him sleeping with a deep ball, and then that sets up the run game for the rest of the game. So if that had gone well, and I bet it was one of those where they did it in practice and it worked, and they caught him by surprise, and, and Daddy was like, I'm throwing this no matter what. And, and by the way, not to make excuses, but someone, the, the DN came untouched uh, on a blitz yeah. there. So Daddy yep. was under fire. He got rid of the football, probably should have ate it, but... You know, I don't know. He expects his guys to make plays, probably not in triple coverage, though. He's he's not a triple coverage. You know, that's a throw that Jerk gets away with and Denny doesn't, right? So uh, I think Denny, I'm sure Denny knows that going forward. And you, you mentioned a couple of the other mistakes, right? There was there was really one over the middle that it was like a full three feet behind Trey Barry that should have been picked. Yep. And then while, while we're hating on Denny, because this is the only three things he did wrong all day, taking that sack at the end of the first half that nearly knocked us out of field goal range, outside of that, Pretty darn perfect performance. I mean, 18 for 29, threw for, what, a buck, 80-something in that range, right? And those two touchdowns were exactly like he stepped up in the exact moments that that we needed him to do. 60% completion percentage, uh, kept the chains moving on third down. We were 10 for 16 on, on third down, a perfect two for two 
uh, on fourth down. You mentioned that that run where he tweet where he uh, you know with the one we tweeted out where yep. he's reaching for the sticks. It's like that Michael Jordan Space Jam stretch and just yeah. you know got there by like a you know a foot and it was just uh, that's a, just a hell of a winning play. And that's why that's why I love this guy because when we compare Sean Sylvia, shout out to Sean who compared to compared to uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. We don't know how he does it, but he just he makes these plays and he puts this team in positions to win. So the exciting thing is he hasn't even played that great yet. Like we know, and I hate to keep bringing up the UVA game, but he hasn't played up to his full abilities yet. And once he gets clicking, you know, he's going to find ways to lead this team to victory. Trajectory is only going up from here. We're going to need him to play great against Clemson because I'm sure Clemson's going to be loading the box. We'll get into that. But um, anyone that's hating on Denny at this point, that's a you problem. This, this is our QB1, and uh, he's our guy. And, uh, man, just just what a special performance. That was one of my all-time favorite performances. Didn't show up in the stat sheet, but just guy just led the team to victory. And a uh, real great team went across the board there. So that's that's my Denny. Uh, that's, that, that, thank you for coming to my Denny talk. That's, uh, that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, he's everything that you'd want to root for in a quarterback. I mean, you know, maybe you could argue you wanted to be a little bit more talented. But from a personality perspective, you know, the guy clearly loves his team. He loves his school. He's willing to, to, to sell his body out every single play. And that's, again, really all you can ask for. He's giving, uh, you know, 200% effort every Saturday and uh, can't ask for anything more. What I will just say quickly, it's another half full of mine. The yes, of course, taking the sack at the end of the first uh, first half was not great, but it did lead to one of the all time college debuts. Connor Litton, true freshman kicker. Again, you know, talk about nails. This kid is nails. Walks out 49-yarder to tie the game at the end of the first half. His first ever college kick with ease. I mean, it was clear down the middle. It would have been good for another 10 yards. And then halfway talked about after, you know, he hits the kick and he kind of just walks off the field. No fist bumps, just all business. This guy's a machine. He, he's ready for the pressure, and I absolutely love it. It's great to see, again, our special teams, and as they were last year as well. But it's great to see our special teams have, have turned a corner from, you know, uh, what we maybe knew from the uh, the Adazio years and earlier. I love the overreaction to one singular kick, and now this guy's never going to miss again in his life. I love it, Matt. This is <laughs> he's awesome. He's two for two. He's no, two for I know, two. and everyone's like, hey, Boomer who? Like, we got this new guy. He's never going to miss. Here's my take on this. And you know my theory. It's It's been – I've long had this theory where, like – in basketball, it's the shot clock theory. Shot clock's winding down. You have a, you know, you got to force up a deep three. Those always go in. You know why? Because the pressure's off. And that's what Denny did for Connor. Connor, is it Litton? Lighten? Litton, yep. Kicker. Uh, Denny took that sack, maybe not intentionally, but maybe subconsciously took that sack because he knew that if this kid missed that kick, he was going to be really, you know, demoralized. So Denny's like, all right, I'm going to put it on my shoulders. I'm going to take the sack intentionally make it a 50-yarder, and if he misses, it's my fault. If he makes it, it's he's a great kicker, and that's just what good teammates do. That's Denny personified right there, pal. Yeah, that's that's one way to look at it, and uh, again, we're, we're the optimism going to be higher here, so I'm going to let you roll with that one. Um, now, one other quick note. I've got a couple left that I want to talk about, but just, just a quick one. Jaden Williams, the guy's a touchdown. Literally, every time he puts on shoulder pads, he's uh, leading the Tied for the lead, I think, with the AC, with definitely with the ACC. I don't think with the country, but he's got three on the year. Um, absolute monster performance there. And then again, Matt Brandon, Sebastian, you know, a guy who you know came here under the Daz regime, a great leader, a local guy. What a play uh, to break to pull off that interception there at the end of overtime to win the game. He just deserves the hell out of it. He talked about how it was probably the most exciting and, and fun moment he's ever had in a football jersey. Uh, could not be happier for that guy. What a way to uh, to walk off Saturday. And he uh, did, did you see his quote where he 
he misread the coverage or he, he yeah. didn't do what he was supposed to. He was supposed to cover, I, I guess he was the nickel on that play. And, but what happened was he started, you know, going with this guy a little too far and then started to, started to track back, but then saw the quarterback, you know, start to wind up and was able to recover. You know, the, the kid had a, a couple steps on him, but, you know, just a tremendously athletic play. And he just, that's, he makes plays like that. It was sort of like not quite as acrobatic. Remember that play he made against Virginia Tech back in, I don't know, 2018, 2019, whatever the opener was, where he landed on his head. Like, that's yep. just, that's what, that's what he does. I mean, that's just a hell of a play. It's a winning play. And it's great when the veterans uh, step up like that. I think you hit everything on my list here, Matt. That was, I think we had the same – I think we had equivalent half-fulls here. I was just going to say real quick, the crowd is, is in my yep. half-full category. Yep, big time. A little empty at the beginning. And um, I'm not sure if it was because of the the COVID situation and getting the test results in or whatever. But uh, it really started to fill up by the end of the first. And you could tell that you know it seemed like as soon as Garwell ripped off that 67-yarder, that stadium was buzzing. And, uh, you know, we had a ton of big-time recruits there. And I'll tell you, if you don't commit to BC on the spot after that or obviously honor your commitment if you've already uh, committed, I don't know what you're doing because that's – I mean, that was just a hell of a Saturday. And, and I'll say this too. I'm totally cool storm in the field. Usually I'm the storm in the field police, but I don't even care about that anymore. Between COVID, between Drinkwitz's comments, between all the idiots on the internet that think it's like a fun thing to say, oh, you know, poverty program. Like, gosh, shut up. No one cares yep. about your dumb opinions. And by the way, like Clemson does this every after every game. Right. It's like a thing right. now where everyone comes on the field after the game. Why don't we just do that? And that way we don't have these stupid Well, we debates. do. Yeah, we, do. we do. Apparently yeah. it was in the, the preseason email that, that now, you know, people are invited on the field after the game. Maybe they normally want the players to leave and not have it be right away. But completely agree with every single thing you just said. First of all, this was one of the best, you know, day game atmospheres, noon kick that I can remember seeing in a, in a long time. Sold out, obviously, parents weekend bump. But I do think that, you know, A, Halfley in general just kind of riles up energy. Obviously, the week leading up to it and the comments leading up to it riled up energy. And they know this team. They see how hard this team plays and they're there to support them. Again, you got to think about this. Someone tweeted this out. For 50% of the student section, this is their second game in alumni ever because obviously we didn't have last year. And it's really the first real game non-FCS. And then for the other 50%, it's their first real game in two years. So these are college kids who are having fun. This team deserves this kind of love. The entire school and community is behind this team. You're an old man yelling at a cloud if you take some, you know, massive exception with this. So, you know, this wasn't people ripping down a goalpost for some, you know, massive win. They were invited students per the email, celebrating with their fellow students, period, on a beautiful fall day in the fall. So grow up if you have an issue with it. I completely agree. The people who, you know, were complaining about it, by the way, were the ones who were saying that BC had no right to beat Missouri, which is some backwards logic there anyways. But um, yeah, otherwise, 1000% agree. Let's make this an everyday thing. Every time we win, let's just get on the field. And it's just reactionary. Like, that's what right. I was, I was running around my house. Yeah, but like, it, exactly. It's exactly. a walk off win, like hard fought and overtime when like, and we'll talk about the, uh, the 56 yarder in a second, but like having the win grasped out of your hand and then getting it right back, you know, 10 minutes later in that environment, like that's just what you do. I would have stormed the field too. I would have thought twice about it. So right. I totally agree with that. All right, we got a couple negatives here. Are, do you have any more positives you want to get in? No, I for the most part don't have any positives. I'm not going to have too many negatives either, so I'm going to let you kind of uh, steer most of these. Okay, I got uh, two, and then one's I have one kind and of, a half. Okay, yeah, I got I got I two and a half. half. Okay, um, the obvious one's the D line. Um, yeah, just still not a, not really able to generate any type of pressure. We can't get home with a four man rush. That's that's been proven at this point. It's just it's sort of that simple, and that sucks. It is what it is. Now, Missouri does have a decent offensive line. 
by all accounts. They've only given up a, a couple of sacks all year. But, you know, no sacks, only one tackle for a loss. And I think that was a IGM playing the backfield. That was great uh, right after that targeting scare. Um, but more importantly, like the quarterback, I've never seen a quarterback have that much time to throw it. There was a couple plays where I think he legitimately had 30 seconds to throw the ball. And, you know, once we got to the red zone, we started dialing up a couple blitzes. But, like, it's just, I we can't, that can't be a, a recipe for success. I mean, it did seem like anytime we were able to get a guy in, in, the, in the QB's face and we tweeted out, he, he turned into a pumpkin. Like, that's just, he wasn't good right. under pressure, but we weren't really testing him a lot. So, you know, we did keep the run game in track, so we'll, we'll give him credit for that. Just 88 yards on 3.8 yards per carry, but... You know, to date, they have only six sacks through four games. That's 97th in FBS, which when you consider the level of competition, that's really, really bad. You know, we should be yep. way higher than that. So uh, that's disappointing, and we'll talk about it with Clemson. But that – I don't even know. Like, I keep saying that needs to change. It's just I don't think it is at this point. So No, I, I think I think you're I think you're right. And, again, I, I will agree with you that the stat line of 88 yards against a running back who is excellent, mm-hmm. Beatty is, is a phenomenal running back – you know, is good. It just didn't look like it didn't look like that at the time. The other issue I had was just kind of with the defensive game plan in general. It seemed like we were giving the receivers huge cushions. And again, I'm going to trust Halfley and Tem, you know, more than certainly more than my, you know, half drunk eye test at Tipsy Nomad uh, at the New York City game watch. But it just seemed like every time he dropped back, we were giving these receivers, you know, five yards beyond the chains pretty comfortably. Really stood out for me on the last drive of the fourth quarter, leaving up to the field goal. Yep. And our guy, Ham Cheever's Accord, was, was tweeting about this at the time, but basically we were like giving them the sidelines open comfortably uh, with no timeouts left. And, you know, they had 10 seconds left and we basically said, all right, you have you know 10 free yards on either sideline. And they were able to get, you know, whatever it was, 15 yards for, you know, a miracle field goal. Don't get me wrong. And yeah, I suppose it's good to, you know, play a decent prevent there to not give up the six, but uh, agree. There was just some, some, some interesting decisions um, or at least what looked like interesting decisions. Again, obviously, it's it all worked out that at the end of the day. But I think Saturday could have been a lot more comfortable, you know, had maybe the defensive game plan been a little bit more aggressive. I guess that was my you know, takeaway at the time. Can you imagine if if Adazio had a three point lead with twenty five seconds to go <laughs> and allowed the opponent to march down the field to attempt right. a game tying field goal? Like the the, the fan base would have gone berserk and rightfully so right. and and I don't think we should give Halfley a pass on that the same thing happened with Pitt last year where we thought we had won the game they at least I think had a full two minutes to do it so it wasn't you know as egregious but just way way too easy for Mizzou to get those forty yards to get in the field goal range I don't know why we're playing so deep I'm I'm not sure if if Half doesn't have faith in his guys right but but the D back supposed to be a strength of this team I mean. But that's how it seems. Like, I know he wants to keep everything in front of him and avoid the big play, but, like, it's pretty clear what they're going to do, especially that one play with six seconds to go. That was particularly uh, confusing, right? I mean, no timeouts. They were obviously just going to throw a quick slant to the sideline. And we had our D-backs drop back 20 yards. I mean, it was wild. Like, that's – we gave him a field goal attempt. And and I'm not sure what happened there. Maybe it's because – we know we can't generate pressure, so we're more susceptible to giving up a big play. I guess I get that. But that, that six-second play to go in, in particular, I, I couldn't understand that at all. I was screwing my television. Yeah, I agree. I mean, again, I do think probably the idea there was, number one, like let's just not have anyone go behind us, which, again, with six seconds left, I think it would have been reasonable to assume that, you know, 
they're not going to try to throw a quick out with no timeouts. They're going to try to, you know, whatever. Uh, or I don't know. They may have had one timeout. I think they had none at that time. No. But anyways, yeah, I think it would have been reasonable to that. say, like, yeah, like, we're just going for the end zone, so keep it all in front of you. I also think that whether or not they would admit it, they would say, all right, as long as we keep them, you know, beyond the 40, like, this guy's not going to hit a, a 56-yarder, which, you know, is somewhat fair. But, you know, you would think it happened to Pitt last year. And, again, we're nitpicking here overall because it did all work out. But – Overall, Matt, my assessment from the game was that we outplayed them significantly more than a overtime win. Like, I don't think that game should have been particularly comfortable. And you do look at some of the mistakes, the the roughing the punter or the, you know, running into the kicker on, on uh, the I, first drive. Like, that I was a free seven. I know you're I okay with that, that but that was a free seven points. Let's make a That's big a free play. Seven points Screw it. He almost, them. Uh, a fraction of a second earlier, he's there, and we have a blocked punt, probably a touchdown. So, just saying. Right. And again, maybe I feel differently because now I know this is a team that can come from behind, but we spotted them a free seven points, you mm-hmm. know, bottom line. So, overall, to me, this felt like a game that should not have been as close as it was. Again, it's nitpicking because we did win, and that's, at the end of the day, all that matters. But, you know, you, you do think as the opponents get a little bit better, these are the types of things that you need to clean up, the penalties, the game planning, the cushions, whatever, yeah. that you know we're not going to get away with for the next 10 games. I will say, I, I don't think it was as dominant, right? I, I We deserved to win the game, I think, but I don't know that we were an exceptionally better team. It was just a story of two different sides, right? Our offense dominated their defense. And we should we didn't even talk about the that third quarter in particular, where we held on to the ball for like 14 minutes. They only ran two or three plays the entire quarter. Garmo just consistently running for, you know, five, six yards a clip. And uh, those two drives that, that netted, uh, you know, it was seven-minute drive, touchdown, six-minute drive, touchdown, and our, our field goal, whatever. It just – that's got to be so demoralizing for the opponent. But on the flip side, like, we did not – the way we played defense was just so confusing. And, and it felt to me, and it was evident by the fourth quarter – when Mizzou did have the ball, they scored points. I think they scored, was it 17 points in the fourth? Like, Missouri. Yeah. And they kind of threw away the ball in overtime. I don't know why they, they threw it away on that on that first uh, that first play of OT. But, like, I didn't have a lot of confidence that we were going to stop them. So, I agree. I, I think that, sure, we were the better team. But I, I really, I just, one of my biggest takeaways was just that quarterback, who was not spectacular by any means, having just all day to throw and being able to, you know, pick out his man and, us having the, the D-backs just on islands for 20 seconds, it seemed like, on those third downs. So it was, it was almost like an, – and he threw that he threw that pick to – was to bury the first one. Um, mm-hmm. It was almost like – because he had so long to throw. He was like out, out of his rhythm. And that's why he's just like, all right, I'm standing here. No one's coming to get – it's like we were counting to 20 Mississippi because no, like, right. no one was coming in. Um, so I don't know. Maybe there's some – maybe maybe this is what it – maybe it's like, you know when – and this is not a basketball reference. You know when like – you're so wide open for a three pointer that like you take an extra dribble and it like throws off your rhythm. Maybe that's maybe that's our approach. It's like, the hey, it's the opposite of the Dennis Grossell taking a snap sack to have no pressure on Connor. Exactly. Connor totally a, agree, Matt. It's a, it's a mental game, Matt. Yep. Yeah. Um, really is. I've got I've got one more just quick one on that side yep. of it. Again, you talked about um, you know the the 17 points they scored in the fourth quarter here. We as a BC fan base and you and I were just as guilty of this as everyone else. We were a little quick to start talking significant trash on Saturday. Uh, I think at the end of the third quarter when we were up 10, like that's when all the tweets started to fly into the, you know, Missouri podcast or whatever of like, oh, I guess, you know, this is going to be so easy. You're just going to have your way with Boston College, all that. And we were on board with it. We were retweeting it. We were tweeting the same thing. 
it got a little hairy there. And had we lost, like my phone, I think would be in the East River right now. <laughs> like I was not going to sit around and face those tweets. No, I totally, I totally agree. And uh, yeah, it felt a lot like the pit game. Where it's back and forth. We got that lead, and then they came firing back. And then it's, it's funny. As soon as overtime hit, it's like we're we're losing. As soon as that field goal went through the uprights, we're going to lose this game. But again, that's what we said. It's this different feel of the fan base, and I think that we're all scarred from the Steve Adazio and Frank Spaziani years, rightly so. But we proved it with Pitt last year. We proved it with this one. And, you know, obviously we've been in some close games that we lost, but, you know, Texas State even, right? Like we've proved that there are games that we are accustomed to losing that we are not losing at least with the same frequency anymore. So I do think that there needs to be a a mentality switch. Uh, Clearly the team has made it. And I think as a fan base, we're overdue to make that as well. On that note, that's a great segue into my last half empty here. Can everyone just shut up about Halfley being an awesome coach? I think we, as a kid, and us included, we both need to shut up, Matt. Everyone needs to shut up. The hype train's officially off the tracks. It's just, it's not sustainable. He is going to leave this program if he just continues to just be the, this coach that's like beloved by the entire nation. I almost like, at what point are we, are we better off like losing to Syracuse just to like shut everyone up about Halfley for a little bit? Let me tell you what happens if we do that, Matt. That's how we have Steve Adazio for eight years at the head coach of Boston College. We, you know, he's nationally beloved by the media. We talk about early on how much we love him. And then, hey, he starts to lose some weird games. He's six and six. Who else would want this coach? Let's just keep him here forever. Yeah, I know. I just, I'm very nervous. <laughs> I do, I will say, and we were just talking about this earlier, but his quote about someone asked him, you know, what's your relationship like with Dabo? Here's a direct quote. I kind of look up to him. What he's done at Clemson and where he's taken it and built it and stayed there and the consistency, I mean, I think it's awesome rather than a guy that probably could have jumped around here or there. BC coach Jeff Halfley. Listen, you don't say that unless you're going to be here the next couple of years, right? I, I think unless he's just saying words, but like that's that's a real quote. That makes me feel a little bit better about this whole situation because the Michigan job you know, could be open soon. USC certainly is going to be open. Um, he could go anywhere he wants, it sounds like. So, uh, But that, that quote is going to help me sleep a little bit better tonight. Yeah, I, I think that he seems to really like it here. You know, he's got a young family. They seem to really like it here. I don't know, man. Maybe I am just like I have obviously a higher opinion of Boston College than maybe someone who didn't go here or the national landscape. But he seems like a guy who gets it. He's a local guy. You know, he didn't play big time college football. He's a Siena guy. So I don't think that he is like this guaranteed to, to, you know, up and take Michigan if it comes available, for example. So I don't know. I also think that and maybe I'm putting way too much faith. I definitely am putting way too much faith in the board of trustees and Leahy. But I would have to assume that, you know, donations have skyrocketed really in the last you know year, COVID adjusted, if you will. But I think that clearly the board has you know had some come to Jesus moment pun intended, about, you know, seeing that athletics and good athletics are actually going to drive money. And now there's, you know, we've seen some further investments. So I know that, you know, UCLA, Martin Jarman is now like the second highest paid athletic director in the country. I know that we made a very legitimate offer to keep him that we would not have made in years past. So, you know, hopefully it's the same kind of idea there, because I think that what we're seeing on campus, the excitement we're seeing in alumni from coast to coast, you know, is is really special and something that you don't have a lot of places. And I, I think that's something you really just want to do everything in your power to, to maintain. So I'm going to trust them. And, and again, maybe that's that's foolish and I shouldn't, but uh, I want him here for the next 50 years easily. Yeah, and I remember we overanalyzed this when he was first named head coach. Like, And we were already talking about, oh, because we were so excited when, when it was announced. Like, oh, what if we go 10-2 and two in you know year two, right? 
is he going to leave? Because today he's shown that he's going to jump ship every two years. And I shouldn't say jump ship. It's really like that's the nature of how it works. You know, you, you well, promotions. When, when you're an assistant, promoted. well, yeah. yeah. And, and when you're an assistant, you come and go with the staff. So if there's a you know a staff, your head coach leaves, and you got to find a new place. So he's bounced around every couple of years, though. And I remember thinking, like, all right, this is not a guy that sticks around any one place a long time. But that's just the, the nature of the beast in college football. It's rare where you see. A coaching staff like Clemson or, or, you know, where assistants stick around for like, you know, Brent Venables and just, you know, lives there. Right. But it seems like, you know, Halfley's big goal is to become a head coach and he's in the Northeast. There's no other programs in the Northeast that, he, you know, are, are better than BC, maybe Penn State. But I don't know if I see that necessarily. That seems to be not that great of an upgrade. Michigan, maybe. Right. It's a, it's a historic program and he probably they probably double his salary. But like, is at what point do you just want to be like, you know, a celebrity in Boston in a great town, like in civilization, have your family stay here, go to school here. You're making four mil. That's nothing to sneeze at. Probably five mil, you know, if, if Leahy gets his shit together, you know, that's that's enough to live on. Right. So, like, at what point does the money not like does the money not matter as much, you know, and, and would he stick around for a long period of time? I get the sense that he would, but I just I know it's going to make it all the all the harder when. Um, you know, we do start to hear rumors about a big time factory school that, that, you know, comes calling. Yeah. We're not going to have a relaxing off season until he signs a lifetime contract yeah. and does uh, like some other way to permanently lock himself to the school. The last thing I want to say about this, and then we should move to the Tigers. Remember the year, I guess, 2014, after we beat the year after we beat USC and, you know, there were all the rumors about Michigan and Steve Adazio. And as a fan base, we were like, so terrified. We were like, if this guy goes to Michigan. We will never recover from this. This pro, you know, <laughs> Boston College football will be dead as we know it. I know we were tweeting at him to stay. I, I, I don't have any you know, follow-up point to that. I just want to note it and just say the world is funny sometimes. It is. It sure is. I'll say this too. And that actually would have been a wild scenario if he wound up in Michigan. Wow. That's, I mean, that's, that's a whole yeah, I mean, other We, we need a whole other episode to cover that, that, that you know, hypothetical. The only other thing I'll say is like Halfley hasn't really done anything yet is the funny part. Like we went six and five last year. We beat a bad Missouri team, but it's just all the off the field stuff. And it's the optimism that comes with, you know, we could actually be the real deal this year. But all this, all this is premature. And I don't know if it's because we're in our own bubble and everyone just loves the guy and tweets out how Halfley's the man just because that's what they do. But like, he really hasn't done anything yet. It's, it's kind of an interesting way of looking at it, right? Like Interesting. And yeah, that's even, a good sell. It's a good sell to, uh, to some of the programs that they're listening to this. He's, yeah. he's been pretty <laughs> mediocre. But no, I mean, he could very, we could go 7-5 and five very easily this year. I know everyone's thinking, you know, ACC's wide open, and it is. But we haven't won an ACC game yet, right? We we're 0-0 in the ACC. So uh, we should cool our jets a little bit just in general. We'll find out a lot on Saturday. And now it's probably a good segue to get into Clemson. But... I just want to manage expectations a little bit that we're very much unproven. Okay. That's all. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think after what we saw on Saturday, and again, I know Missouri is not a great team. That's my point. It's considered. Missouri. But look, I mean, that, that was still a good win, you know, in a, in a, in a tough, in a not tough environment, like a, but a big time college environment. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, you know, again, we've proven every test that's been given to us so far. And again, because the S, the ACC is as bad as it is, as we will segue into now, Matt, I feel good. So with that, let's move it down South. Let's talk about the other Tigers. We were 1-0 on, against Tigers on the year, by the way, which is an interesting little stat there. I would like to actually see the all-time record of teams that have played Tigers consecutively and what the correlation is to winning the first Tiger game, how that corresponds to the second. Maybe if you have any interns in turn, out there, that would be a good thing to, in turn, to look get at. get on that. 
Um, Matt, while we're on these important topics, I want to start with the travelability. Uh, travelability, that is. Really, really high score for me. Uh, night games are always great. We're 4-0. Clemson, uh, Clemson's not a great college town. We were there two years ago, but it's a good college town. There's a couple good spots. Uh, good barbecue. You know how I feel about their kind of fake, nice Southern hospitality <laughs> fan base. I think it's fraud. Plus, our guy Sylvia is like close to starting a legitimate war with them, so Matt, we have his back. Why do you so explain we're anti it? the fans right In now. In case we have any new listeners, because I, I, hype's building. We're probably going to have like a 1,000 listeners this episode. What is, what is your theory on the Clemson fans? All right. So you know how everyone always talks about, oh, I love when Clemson comes up north or when we go down to Clemson. Like, they're just so nice. They're so friendly. Yep. Stop it. It is the absolute, like, fraudulent southern fake hospitality, the bless your heart hospitality, the we don't view you in any way, shape, or form as a threat, anybody who can beat us. So, you know, it's cute that you guys are trotting out a football team year after year and trying to compete with the big boys down like Clemson. Stop it. If you are a, you know, when Oklahoma, for example, goes and plays at Clemson, you know, a, a competitor for the national championship. Clemson fans are not doing the, oh, welcome to Clemson, bless your heart, all that fake Southern BS. Absolutely not. It's just because they have such a low opinion of us that, that they don't consider us a threat for the ACC. They don't consider us a threat for that individual game. So it is it is so fraudulent. And again, Sylvia is the perfect example of this. You know, he said everyone was so nice to him during the tailgate last year. But the minute that we stormed out to that early lead, you know, people were screaming at him, throwing stuff at him, whatever. Because again, they're so fragile and they're in this just little Southern bubble of their own little world. And they have no one who's able to, you know, come in here and they think that no one in the ACC is able to shatter that so they can just be friendly to everyone. But clearly, time and time again, when things don't go well, they've shown their true colors. So, Matt, that's my take. I think Clemson friends are, are fraudulent from a from a niceness department. I'll just say that. And I know Sylvia would agree. And I frankly, it's too bad he's not on here right now because I would love to hear him go on this. And he had a, the firsthand experience last year. OK, so that view does not represent uh, the views of this podcast, of this Twitter handle. Um, as a former South Carolinian, the, the folks down there have been nothing but nice to me. We went down there in 2019, had a great time, met a whole bunch of the locals during the tailgate. Matt, they beat a, us by 80 points that no, game. the team wasn't nice, but the fans were very, very the, nice. But the fans were nice to us because they, they were, were beating nice us by 80 before, points. Now, that was before the game. They were very because nice Because they to knew us. they were going to beat us by 80 points. They were nice to Sylvia last yeah. year when they thought they were going to beat us by 80 That's points. That's true. Yeah. Even 2019, that was, that was even for us, it was hard to talk, talk ourselves Terrible. into that one uh, yeah. with that defense. But point being, they've been nice, had a great time at the SO Club, Tigertown Tavern, had a great time there with the locals. Um Bojangles, you know, just great times there. So um, great times at the Bojangles. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So look again. I got. Let me give my score here before I get too okay. riled up because we All do right. need to talk football. Yeah. And by the way, the SO Club, we pretty much only hang out with. BC, we only hung out with you know thirty BC people there. So yeah, that's that fair. point is null and void. Uh, look, there's probably less buzz on campus this year because they are two and two. Because of that, you might not get as much of that friendly vibe. There's going to be a little bit more of an edge down there. So it's you know going to knock them down a little bit. Um, but Matt, the current weather forecast, as you know, is is pretty strong. High of 86 on the day, 78 degrees at kickoff. Maybe a little hot in the southern sun for for tailgating, but overall very solid. We take warm weather games whenever we can. So uh, overall, again, some really good things. A couple of bad things. Just my thoughts on the Clemson fan base. I'm going to go 24.8 RVs. Wow. Okay. Good score there, Matt. Uh, you covered, I think, all the important stuff, particularly the weather. I'll just throw yep. this in. You know, we've been waiting for Clemson to be beatable for six years, seven years. We finally have our opening, and uh, for me, that's that really jacks up the score. It's also homecoming, which I don't know if you did any research, but they have what's called Tigerama, Matt, and it's the second largest pep rally in the country on Friday night. So I don't know who's number one, but they have the second largest. So with all that said, even though I love you know South Carolinians, 
I get 26.4 because it's going to be just – for anyone that's going down, it's just going to be a great weekend if we can get out of there with a W. We have so many years, just much like NC State, you know, had just had so many years of ineptitude against this team. To be able to avenge all those bad losses would just be awesome for this program. So I got 26.4, and uh, it's going to be a great weekend. Let's talk football a little bit here, Matt. Obviously, a big matchup. I got like eight pages of notes here. I'll try not to. Uh, I'll try to just give you just you know the quick highlights. Um, do you want to kick it off with with any research yeah. you did? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you don't have to say it like that. Yeah, I do some <laughs> research. Uh, look, I mean, the bottom line, Matt. This is it's it's not your. I don't know. It's not your usual Clemson. It's it's more like your father's Clemson than your older brother's Clemson. These are not the Clemson Tigers of you know the last four years and and before that. Uh, look, they're they're probably not a two and two team. Like that's probably harsh four games in, but they're not a four and zero college football playoff team either. I think them losing last weekend is is frankly a bad thing. Uh, I think there's just a different level of kind of focus. Uh, more is on the line for them, and frankly, if we do win it, it waters down our win. It would be better for us to beat a top you know fifteen Clemson than a number or they twenty five in the AP this week yeah. if we are able to pull it off. Um, on the field, Matt injuries are killing them this year. Uh, defensive tackle Brian Breit. Breezy? Breeze? I think it's bra- Breezy. Breezy, yeah. Breezy, yeah. yeah. So he annihilated us up front last year. I'm sure everyone remembers that. But he tore his ACL down to Raleigh, so he is not going to be in on Saturday. He injured uh, also, Jerko last year, if you yeah, guys recall. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he was literally in the backfield, I think, every single play. He's an absolute unit. Yeah, so frankly, you know, we, you know, we know we never, ever, ever, it's our one rule in this podcast, root for injuries. Um, but if they happen, you know, we hope he gets back even better and stronger. But now maybe that's potentially a good thing for us on Saturday. Running back Will Shipley is now out for a bit. He's been like pretty unbelievable. He's a true freshman, but he's been pretty unbelievable. One of their, one of, if not their brightest spot on offensive this year. Uh, and then their starting cornerback, Fred Davis, got banged up in practice. Didn't play against NC State. No current update there. Again, we don't root for injuries. So, you know, hope he's back. That's all I'll say. Matt, offensively, DJU, Ugalele. DJU, it's just easier. Yeah, it was pretty good. But DJU is just easier. It's not Ugalele. It's Ui it is. It's Ui Ungalele is how you pronounce right, that. I spelled it wrong in my notes. Uh, you DJU. Said, you, you said Ugalele. There's a G in there, not a K. It's <laughs> a difference. I don't know. Anyways, DJU has looked more than human this year, flat out beatable and, and frankly bad at times. I'm a math guy. Everyone knows this. I'm a big analytics guy. Per pro football focus, he's currently having the 157th best season out of a quarterback out of 205 that have played. Denny is 35th, so nice little disparity there. They only have four offensive touchdowns in their three non-FCS games this year, two passing, two rushing, never more than 14 regulation points against FBS competition. And important to note, again, I mean, they played Georgia's obviously was a, was a great game, so you kind of got to throw out that, you know, 10 to three loss there. But uh, Georgia Tech and, and NC and Georgia Tech especially, not exactly world beaters and NC State, you know, I think, at worst, you'd say they're on par with the BC. So no more than 14 points against any FBS competition. I think that that's an interesting stat there. Weapons, though, Matt, they do still have them. Justin Ross is still firmly wide receiver one, but not nearly as dominant as he was prior to his neck injury last year. But good for 22 catches, three touchdowns through the first four weeks. And then the defense right now, Matt, is frankly terrifying, even with some of the injuries that we mentioned, uh, given up three, three, eight, and 14 points in regulation so far this year. And again, if you get rid of the FCS game, that's three points to Georgia, three points to Georgia Tech, 14 points to NC State in regulation last weekend. Uh, terrified of their linebacker, Balen Spector. He's just an absolute monster. 19 tackles against NC State. That's like Luke Keekley numbers. So that's terrifying, and we got to find a way to keep him in check. Last thing I have, Matt, the turnovers, 
not really a factor for them so far, neither offensively or defensively. So, you know, despite how bad the offense has been, they've only had three turnovers on the year, two picks and a fumble, but they also haven't caused a lot, only caused two fumbles and one pick. So really not a huge factor there. They seem to play a little bit tight. But again, overall, I think the bottom line is that they are beatable. Their offense is as bad as we've seen in the last decade, but their defense is still that Brett Fenables defense, and it is going to be more than a tough nut to crack on Saturday night. Wow. Good analysis there, Matt. That was, uh, Thanks, Matt. That was great. Yeah, I wanted to be compared. You know, big week, big week. Yeah. Clemson week's a big week. It sure is. I'll tell you what. And I think the only thing you didn't touch on, it seems like a lot of their offensive problems are due to the O-line. The O-line's been extremely inconsistent. You know, they weren't a great unit last year. They weren't as elite as they you know have been in years past. But they lost a couple of those guys. And, and you know, I think at this point, it, it really is a talent issue. And we'll get into, you know, we talk keys, to the, keys to, to the game, whether or not we have, you know, the ability to exploit that. But it seems like DJU just can't get comfortable back there. And he sort of lacks confidence under pressure. He's lashing onto his first read. Um, so to me, it seems like and, and the, the run game, especially now with Shipley out, has been pretty much non-existent. So, you know, all, all of those struggles were really personified against NC State. They scored on their, I think, first or second drive where DJU, and let's not forget, DJU is still an absolute machine and can make unbelievable throws like he did on that on that touchdown drive against NC State. He was like on the run and threw a dart 30 yards downfield and then hit Ross in the back of the end zone on another one. But after that drive, something like seven straight three and outs, which I, I don't think Clemson's ever done in their history, certainly not in, in their recent history. So with DJU, it's, it's tough to tell, like, Obviously, last year against us and against Notre Dame, he, he put up big numbers. But, you know, was that because the O-line gave him time to throw? And now when you know he doesn't have the likes of ETN and Amari Rogers and th- those types of weapons, you know, can he overcome, you know, when he's the main focus point or focal point and, and really has to put it all on himself? So I think that's one thing to keep an eye on. And, and you know, we'll talk about, again, whether our D-line can do anything about this. But making him uncomfortable, I think, is going to be the, the key to the game. Uh, you talked about Justin Ross, too. I, I, I really think that, you know, he's probably the, the biggest, you know, if, if I'm half-late, that's if I can shut him down, I feel pretty good about my chances. Much like they shut down Tyler Beatty uh, with Mizzou, Justin Ross is the same type of game-changer. And it's kind of like the Belichick approach, right? Like, I'm going to take your best player and, and neutralize him and then, you know, make other people beat beat me. But, you know, hopefully with our D-backs, you know, you think about DeBerry and Sebastian being, you know, proven that they're the lockdown corners we think they are. Hopefully we can just neutralize him. If, if we can hold them under, you know, 50 points, I like our chances to uh, to limit their, their uh, offensive capability. And then uh, you talk about the running game too, but with Shipley out, they got no one. They have like right. a third stringer named uh, Kobe Pace, who has 25 yards in three games against FBS competition. So I'm not all that concerned about him. You know, I think we can so- we can sort of you know get get there with five, right, and then drop the rest back in, in coverage. I just think that you know Tam is really going to have to dial up a smart game plan to try to manage the risk of you know these are still five star athletes that can that can burn us with big play potential versus getting pressure on the quarterback. So, but on that note, actually, and and, and we saw you know last year how they can burn us pretty quickly. The best way to sum up Clemson's struggles, David Hale tweeted out this stat: their first in defensive explosive rate rate. They're still an elite defensive unit. They're 128th in offensive explosive rate which is just, uh, you know, really unbelievable. So certainly not the clubs we're used to in the past five years. And, and you know, it's funny in years past, you would see where they'd, they'd blow a game against Syracuse or NC State, and then they'd bounce back and beat Georgia Tech by 60. It's a different story this year. It's not just an anomaly. These are 
they're legitimately not a good team. And, and, and Dabo, Dabo said that too. He said, you know, we're three or four key plays from being undefeated, but we'd still be a bad football team, which I thought was, uh, you know, a pretty interesting quote. So, uh, so we'll see. They got a lot for the first time. They're dealing with some some adversity early on in the season, and uh, we'll see how they handle it. Yeah, it's. I'm, and I don't want to spend too much time on the on the conference as a whole because I think it gets depressing pretty quickly. But the reality is that I think there's a very good chance that two losses is good enough to get into the ACC championship this game if you're coming from or uh, this year if you're coming from the Atlantic and yeah. actually probably the Coastal as well because the Coastal is good for like 500 and the Coastal is is good for the uh, for the championship every year so and this is how it'll it be used interesting to be. man this is how it yeah. used to be right. like the it's wide open 0809 like you know we think about the Chris Crane era at BC what were we nine and three that year? Like we had multiple conference losses, but it was okay. You still get in the ACC championship. You don't. You shouldn't have to go undefeated. And this is why, right. like having Clemson in our division has just sucked because you have to be perfect. And by the way, we're not going to be Clemson when they have Trevor Lawrence. It's just it's not going to happen. So yeah, I, I think that's that's a good point. So it might be the first time in a while that this could actually be a, a season where we're scoreboard watching and oh, we we're rooting against NC State because you know X Y Z has to happen. Like. I'm I'm waiting for that. Like it's like a well, we root against NC State because we don't support you know bad guy Dave Doran. But otherwise, I get your point completely. And again, I just want to give it a 10 second plug. Wake Forest might win the national championship if we don't like it. And if there is anyone to do it other than us, I want it to be Wake Forest. Tell you, they got a defense this year. No one saw that coming. But yeah, got to root for Clawson. He's just the nicest guy in the world. Agree. Totally agree. All right, you want to get into your keys of the game and uh, prediction, Matt? What are your keys to the game? Well, I think my keys to the game, I kind of outlaid them there. But again, it's Denny not making mistakes. Uh, it is, again, finding a way to stop the run isn't necessarily the right way to do it. Obviously, stop the run, which isn't the big challenge. But it's like last week, we stopped the run, but we really didn't get any pressure associated with it. So it's kind of figuring out that that mismatch there and actually finding a way. Because again, to your point, DJU is still a, you know, clearly a talented guy. If we give him all day to throw, he will find guys and he will throw all day. So I think pressure is an absolute uh, main key for me. And then on the offensive side of the ball, you know, they're not going to give us a lot. So we need to play, you know, disciplined football. Don't press, you know, too hard. Don't force anything. Let Denny kind of play within his game. Uh, and just, again, you know, hopefully if their offense is as, you know, poor as it's been, only scoring 14 points in regulation against an ACC opponent, you know, we don't need that much, right? Like that's kind of the bottom line I guess I'm going for here. So let's just kind of keep the game in front of us. I've got a couple more things, but I'll, I'll save it for my prediction piece. Yeah. So I just – I had one other note. It doesn't really fit, but – uh, you know, a lot of the I, I took a look at some of the Clemson message boards and like everyone's freaking out, obviously, saying that Tony Elliott, the OC, should be fired yesterday, that like he's never actually drawn up a good game plan. And Trevor Lawrence is always just overcompensated for predictability. They're also saying like Dabo, <laughs> Dabo's whole, th- whole thing for, for a while now has been like, I'm not going to take transfers out of the out of the portal. I'm just we're building the culture and that's more important than having you know, some like he's just not adapting to the game. And I think it's like that that arrogance, that Dabo arrogance that I'm sure you're all about. Um, yes. Like it's just it's it's how college football works these days. It's like what, what would what would what would our team look like if we didn't have Trey Barry, uh, you know, or Zion or hey, Phil Phil Dracovich last year, right? Like it's just this is how teams fill gaps. And I think I think Dabo just missed on what we've been saying for so long. Like when are they going to miss on a recruiting class? And the jury's still out on DJU. He was one of the top recruits. I'm sure he'll figure it out. But, like, the O-line? The O-line sucks. Running back? They don't have a good running back right now. They had to backfill with a true freshman. Fortunately, he was a a stud recruit. But, like, they have position groups that are just lacking talent, which I never thought, you know, we would say. 
But and part of it's like you're playing against five stars. So if you don't start right away, you can transfer somewhere else. I think that's probably part of it. But like, I don't know. It just seems to me that like you can fill holes with the transfer portal and then Dabo's unwillingness to do that might have cost him this year. So, yeah, again, doesn't really fit, but just kind of something interesting. I, I think it's interesting to uh, to think about. It is. And I think that, you know, and I say this with no data to back this up, but it does feel like the Clemsons and the Alabamas, frankly, have never needed the transfer portal because, again, they, they are able to reload with five stars. So it's almost like a, a statistical anomaly that you're going to have, whether it's injuries or guys going pro or, you know, frankly, just five stars who don't pan out that that you do have a class that misses. And that's the reason that, you know, Alabama doesn't need a lot of transfer guys and they're still excellent every year. And that's the reason Clemson's been able to do that for the you know 10 years, 10 plus years prior to this. Uh, but you're absolutely right. It, it is you know, easier said than done to say, oh, we don't need the transfer portal when you're constantly pulling in five stars and, and, and you know, high four stars. But it's kind of the game is as the game evolves a little bit, these coaches kind of need to stay on top of it. And again, that's a bigger task for someone like a Jeff Halfley, you know, more at the BC level of needing to fill holes where it's easier for Saban and, and Dabo to just kind of rest and say, all right, we're just going to keep getting five stars. So uh, good to see that, you know, they deal with some of the same challenges that we do. And again, credit to a school like BC and, and you know, other peer institutions that are actually adjusting to that more so than just complaining about it and saying, well, I don't know what happened this year. Yeah, it's a good point. So we'll see how that how that changes going forward. We'll see if they make a change on the on the offensive coordinator or some of those other position groups. Um, I do think what I'll say is that I think that this is, you know, and maybe it's just a, a Southern type perception, but I think as a fan base, them losing to NC State is a lot more palatable than losing to Boston College. Like, yeah. And that, right, like if we were, if we go in and we win this weekend, like we very much think that we can, I do think that there are going to be material changes because a loss to a Boston College team is unacceptable to them. And again, I think that kind of speaks more to like the, you know, even the arrogance we saw to the Missouri fan base coming into this past week of they just feel like they're this the anointed and it's Boston College can never be anything. It's this Northeast football program, Massachusetts, New Jersey kids, whatever. Um, but so there is, I think, a lot more on the line for the team and the coaching staff this week with a game against BC versus at NC state, you know, even if we beat them every 20 years, well, you know, they're always a tough program, you know, up the road in Raleigh there, whatever. So yeah. uh, this will be very interesting for kind of the future of the year of, of Clemson this weekend. We'll see if they're able to get up for it too. I mean, their season's over, right. As far as what their goals were, they wanted to be in the college football playoff barring absolute chaos, you know, across college football this year. That's not going to happen. They're, they're you know, I don't see any way. I don't. I don't see there's any. I think they're mathematically eliminated because again, the ACC is not good enough. Yeah. So they won't have. Maybe they get you know a top you know whatever one or two top twenty five wins that they can sneak in there. But I think that beyond that, it's and those are and those are going to be you know fifteen plus uh, rankings, not any one in the top ten or anything like that. So I I honestly think the ship has sailed. And again, yeah, Dabo and the boys are not getting up for just a trip to the Orange Bowl on on January first. Yeah, I mean we'll we'll see if they rip off. What is it? Eight straight wins? No, you're probably right. It probably is too late. You know, they, they tend to ten and two with no top twenty five wins. Forget. No, I know, I know. I, I think I agree. But yeah, and, and I was thinking back to like Florida State when they were started to go on the decline when uh, Jimbo was was it was rumored that Jimbo was leaving and we just absolutely crushed them at home yep. and what seventeen during the Red Bandana game. I don't. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen on Saturday, and they got a ton to play for, and I'm sure Dabo's going to you know keep them hyped up and all that, but. I don't know. It could be a factor. They might not be as hyped up as they normally would be, knowing that their uh, their ultimate goal is is out of reach at this point. So I will say, I will say, if this game was at BC, 
I think there's a much greater chance to just like break their will. I think it would be an absolutely electric crowd. And I think it's a lot easier. Even again, this is a team that has been in the college football playoff and they've dealt with all the pressures that college football can throw at them. Yeah. Uh, it is a real shame that this game is not is not at home. That's all. Although DJU now has, you know, 90,000 angry Clemson fans. True. There down I mean, yeah, too. it depends, right? You can take it either way, right? I'm not a psychologist. So. All right, so I'll give you my keys to the game real quick. I touched on this one a little bit, but we got to figure out a way to dial up some pressure. I'm just I'm, – I, I love our guys. I love our D-line. But we have to find a way to uh, effectively blitz without giving up the big play. We have to make DJU uncomfortable. That's the only way. NC State had two sacks, five tackles for a loss, seven QB hurries on just 26 pass attempts. Most of that production – you know, if you, if you were watching the game, it came from the linebackers. So, you know, I'll keep saying it. Like, IGM, like, Tem has to figure out a way to dial up pressure from the from the linebackers because we're not getting it from the front four, particularly on third down. NC State held them for to just two for 12 on third and fourth down, and that was the key to the game. That's how they got off the field so quickly, and uh, they can't hurt you when, you when they're going three and out. They, they're also time of possession, and this is my other key to the game. You got to sustain drives. NC State – Ran 97 plays compared to 49 plays for Clemson. They won the time of possession battle 42 minutes to 18. We sort of just proved we can do that, right, against Missouri. Obviously a different story. Quite a level up in defensive competition. Clemson is still a top five defense like we talked about. But let's see if our line's for real. Let's see if our line can come to play. Obviously they're banged up up front, so maybe that's a factor. Um, but if Garwo can just you know keep pumping those legs and we, we rip off you know five, six-minute drives consistently – you know, this is still an offense that could explode at any second on, on, on the Clemson side. So I think that's another key there. I already talked about shutting down Justin Ross. That's a given. Um, nothing really to add there. They've they've had a they got a couple other guys. Engada has made a couple nice catches that I've seen. Uh, Frank Ladson's been there a couple of years as well. So they have you know I'm, I'm sure these guys are top recruits, whatever. But like Justin Ross is the only one getting separation consistently. So if we can shut him down, I like our chances. Um, Oh, here's a fun one, Matt. Remember last year, the story where it came out that like uh, Brett Venables actively steals signals. Like he's he's like a he's a sign stealer. That's what he is. And he, yep. he didn't admit it. But like, it's just a known thing um, that Clemson has all these grad assistants and like half of those guys, their whole mission is to go out and steal signs. And Ohio State knew that. And Justin Ross had a good quote because they asked him, like, hey, why are you guys huddling so much? Or why did you guys huddle so much when, when Ohio State beat them by 20 in the college football playoff? And Field said that was our way to you know stop them from stealing our signals. We would we would huddle and then we'd break the huddle and then snap the ball immediately so that Venables couldn't call anything out. So that's sort of just something to think about. Um, hopefully, obviously Halfley has has access to you know Ryan Day at Ohio State, and they certainly you know figured out the blueprint to beat these guys last year pretty handily. So um, I'm dead serious. Like that's how Venables is so effective, or at least a, a big factor in addition to having great players. So. Uh, you know, I was kind of thinking that maybe we could throw out some misdirections. Maybe we use the cupcake schedule to throw some junk signals in there, but, um, you know, try to outsmart the spies. But just want to throw Matt, that out there. Yeah. Yeah. Real quick, Matt. How how close? How many more years? Maybe I just have a, a way too high opinion of ourselves than I should. How, how, how many years of this away do you think we are from getting like our pictures that we put on the cardboard cutouts last year from getting those on one of those big play signs that the uh, assistant coaches hold up? It's an interesting point. I think we're right? probably yeah. I'd, I'd give it a, a year. Like time. you I mean, just put our two pictures side by side up yep. on the thing, and that's the fourth and dude call, or the logo on Twitter, or yeah. one of the koozies. Pick any of it. I, I think it's a good point, Matt. It's not impossible. That's all I'm going to say. It's not impossible. You see all sorts of stuff these days. 
Right. And, and Venables would probably steal it. So and well, so. he would, have, but he wouldn't know what it means. He would say, "What is this Bud Light koozie on on oh. the sign across the sideline?" Hey, have no clue. Joe, Joe Sullivan or J Bomb, if you guys are listening, throw our picture up there, throw our logo up there, or you know what you should do? You know what we should do? Like the uh, the cardboard cutout pictures. That's what I said. I just yeah, said yeah, put yeah. the cardboard cutouts on yeah, us next exactly. week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great minds. Um, all right, give me your prediction here. I want. I I don't know how this is going to. Uh, I don't know what you're leaning right now. I mean, I think I know, but I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to be honest. It's it's a lot of things stacked against us. I think you said it too. Like I would have so much rather they pulled it out against NC State in overtime. Clemson does not lose. You know, th- three games in a row at home. Is that what it would be? I don't know. Three three games in, in the first five games, whatever. Dabo's mad. It's Death Valley. It's still one of the hardest places to play. We have a backup quarterback, Matt. People no. forget that. We, it's a backup no. quarterback. Our D-line stinks. Our whole line still doesn't prove that they can, you know, be elite against really good competition. And I'll just say we're, we're you know, 16-point dogs for, for a reason. So, yeah, I think you know where this is headed. I just, I don't know. I'm only kidding, guys. You can't count out <laughs> Denny Magic, baby. BC 33, Clemson 31. We're 5-0. and Heading to the bye. Road to 15-0. and You can't go 15-0 and without 5-0. and what a what a sandbagger! What a sandbagger! That was brutal, uh, <laughs> unbelievable. All right, well you said it. Clemson sixteen point favorites over under forty six and a half. That's an implied score of thirty one and a quarter to fifteen and a quarter, which would be a wild football score. Uh, but Matt, I think that's just flat out disrespectful. These guys have not scored more than fourteen points in regulation against an ACC or FBS opponent yet this year. Yes, our defense still has a lot more to prove, but. You know, with for them to double that their their maximum point total fourteen and get up to thirty one and a quarter uh, just seems wrong to me. That said, I will say their defense is awesome. I don't have an issue with the prediction putting us in the you know twenty ish point range. But with all of that, this is halfway Super Bowl. He's had this game scheduled since he played Clemson when he was at OSU after he took the job. He has had circled again since the game last year. The boys will be ready. The staff will be ready. We prove to the ACC and to the country that we have officially arrived. Boston College 24, Clemson 17, and we are officially on the road to the college football playoff. Tell you what. That says it all right there. That says it all. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, listen, this is it's kind of the we've been doing this a while now. And uh it's sort of the one year where we're predicting wins over Clemson, and it could actually happen. We thought it could yeah, happen we, the, last the year. Predicting, the predicting wins is not a new thing over No, Clemson. it's not. We predicted victories the yeah. last five years, but yeah. this is the one year where it could actually happen. So, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's an interesting time to be an Eagle. Uh, Saturday's going to be a hell of a day, and I can't, can't get here fast enough. Completely agree. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Like Matt said, it is a great time to be an Eagle. Cannot wait for Saturday night, 7.30 on the ACC Network. Clemson, Boston College. You cannot go 15-0, Matt, without 5-0. Get in, folks.
Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.